good morning. Um, what a service this has been already this morning. I only have one issue. Who changed the lyrics on At the Cross? I don't care. Would he devote that sacred head for such a what? It's what? It's my chart that I arranged to have my name on it. No, no, you don't have to prove it right now. Well, it meant some reprobate asked me to arrange it for them probably, so. You know, it's the funniest thing, and maybe I've already said this. I know many of our uh, seasoned members, of which I'm one, um, like the old hymns. Brent can get up and lead a hymn per week for the longest time, and they still don't think we've sung a hymn. But let the old guy get up and lead a hymn, we're good. So, um, Pastor Brent led a hymn this morning, let it go on the record that he led a hymn this morning, and he does quite often. So, we're looking this morning at a familiar passage in Luke chapter 11, if you want to get your Bibles. If it's uh, your device, would you please stay on the Scripture and not go to Facebook and play games and whatever else that you might do there. I'm wondering if I can get anyone to agree with me this morning that it is very reassuring to know that Christ is truly the friend in the midnight hour of our lives. When you read the word midnight, <clears throat> excuse me, in the Bible, it is not necessarily referring to what you and I know as 12 o'clock or that moment after 11.59 p.m. and 12 a.m. It's actually, it's references to the midpoint of the night or truly the middle of the night. But it also, it's, it's broader than that. It, it speaks of seasons of darkness in our lives. And some people would refer to it even as a gentleman did to me at, um, just a couple of weeks ago. I was someplace, and a gentleman came that I did not know and, um, and talked to me about he had known what it was to experience the dark night of the soul. Well, that came back to me as I was looking at um, how the Bible refers to, this, to the word midnight. I don't really think it needs any um, explanation or definition to you, but we know it's those seasons where there are moments of great need, moments of questioning, moments of loneliness, sickness, darkness, disappointments, moments where everything that you thought and hoped would happen is literally exploding right in front of you. And it doesn't matter where, uh, which part of your life, it can be in your home, it could be in, uh, anywhere in your life with your children, your marriage, and your heart. But here's what is so comforting and that I want us to walk away with today, and that is that the Scripture speaks of the particular, the particular and distinctive closeness of God's attention, of God's proximity, His closeness to us in our midnight hour, in our midnight moment, in our midnight season. Is anyone thankful for that this morning? I don't doubt for a moment that there are many testimonies in this room. In fact, I know there are. Of those who've been in their midnight hour, and you've known what it is, even in the midnight hour, sounds like a song, uh, you know what it is to feel the presence and the closeness of the Lord and His love and His intervention on your behalf. 
And here's the truth about it. No one is immune from the midnight hour. Nobody. It, It affects all of us different times, different ways. The richest, the brightest, the most well-known in our society, all of them, the people who on Facebook looks like life is all roses and peaches and whatever, and uh, they always put their highlight reel on Facebook. How many know that's true? They don't put on their their, their dark night of the soul typically. Um, But everyone, no matter how, what their social status is, what their financial status is, everyone goes to it at one time or another. And in all cases... They find many of the things that this world promised or guaranteed for happiness and fulfillment can leave you, if that's what you have sought after for happiness and fulfillment, it can leave you terrifyingly and strangely empty in your midnight moments where the rubber hits the road and where reality really sets in. It's not unusual for us to look at the headlines of the news in whatever way you receive your news only to find that a a very successful, well-known, and popular actor has taken his or her life, or that a billionaire or successful entrepreneur has ended their life for some reason that to us would seem strange, all because they entered their dark night of the soul or their midnight hour, and they lost all hope. I happen to find this, and some of you may know this young lady. It's not been too many years ago that a beautiful young model her name is Raslana Korshinova. She was in the height of her career and uh, had her picture on the news with a caption that read, her beautiful smile hid a soul full of darkest torment. She was a young model from Kazakhstan and was known at the time, particularly in New York, as fashion's most promising rising star. Had it all. She was just days away, just days away from her 21st birthday and was already a multimillionaire. Just days away when she ran off the balcony of her seventh floor luxurious apartment in New York City and fell to her death intentionally. Why? Because the midnight hour came. In most every major city of this country, you can find famous people who seem to possess everything that the world promises as a guarantee to success, and all too often they are jumping off of balconies or taking an entire bottle of pills because of the terror of their soul. And unfortunately, we discover too late how little many of them knew about the God of Scripture. They might know some cliches. They seem to know what the news media tells them about religion. They may possess some unique ideas and concepts of God, but any measure of examination will reveal that their understanding of God is so far from the revelation of Scripture. I want us all to be reminded this morning, starting with me to the person in the last row of the balcony, that the message of Jesus was that He came to reveal God as Father. Scripture reminds us of this in several ways. Again and again, we first hear Jesus making this idea clear to us at the age of 12, and he, as he said to his distraught mother and his earthly father, do you not know that, I'm about, that I am here to be about my father's business? And when he gave that particular affirmation, the first really that we hear from him, he was shaping the rest of his ministry, his purpose, his mission, what he was to do the rest of his time on earth. 
And then at a later time, Jesus said to his disciples, my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me and to finish his work. Again, a direct line to say, this is why I came. I came to reveal God to you as Father. To the religious leaders, the scholars, and experts, Jesus said again and again, you can find it all throughout the Gospels, I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what I hear my Father saying. It's in John chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. Then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but whatever he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. So with these two primary ideas in mind, the foundation that I've given you so far, which is 100% of us have or will face a midnight hour or a dark season of the soul. That's the first idea. The second is the truth that Jesus came to reveal God as our Father. With those two basic things in mind, I take you to our text in Luke chapter 11, where in the form of a parable, Jesus reveals something so beautiful, so deep, so personal, and so very important about what kind of Father God truly is. This message that I'm going to give you for just the next few minutes is for those hearing that, that are hearing the gospel for the first time. Maybe you've never even heard the story of Jesus. You wonder why we even have even sung the way that we've sung today. You don't really maybe even understand everything that's going on in the service. That's okay. This message is for you. But it's also for those of us who are seasoned believers. It's because there's a divine reminder. How many of you know we sometimes need a divine reminder? I do. There's a divine reminder in this text for us of our Heavenly Father. But I believe if we will listen to it this morning, we will take it in, that it can bring freedom and liberty to our souls. There's a song that I know was popular. It became popular just a few years ago. I don't know we, how much we sung it around here. I know the youth sang it. But something like this that maybe, if, how about I start it and you finish it, okay? Because I don't know it all. You're a good, good father. It's Okay, how many of you believe that? Next time, could you sing it in parts? It sounds prettier in parts, all right. In Luke chapter 11, we read that Jesus was praying in a certain place. If you're at that text with me, Luke chapter 11. And in verse 1 of chapter 11 of Luke, we see that when he stopped praying, one of his disciples said to him this, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And then Luke, and then the second verse of Luke chapter 11, so he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he continues with what you and I know as the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is teaching them even as he's teaching us, that when we pray, you are coming to a Father. And in so doing, by the way he's instructing us on how to come to a Father, he, we are asking that his name be exalted and would be hallowed. It's one of the reasons I asked Brent um, 
If, if the choir could sing this morning, how excellent is your name? Because I think we've already agreed in the house this morning, there is no name above the name of Jesus. But we've been instructed. We're coming to a Father, and we're asking for His name to be exalted and that it would be hallowed. Let's continue the teaching of Jesus in this parable, uh, Luke 11, verse 5. And He said to them, which, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight, say midnight, and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, and he will say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. And here's our text, verse 8. I say to you, though he will, this is Jesus teaching through a parable, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, say persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Verse 9, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, say that, will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This all begins with a request. It begins with the disciples asking Jesus, would you teach us how to speak to God? And would you, in that teaching, show us, tell us, how are we to approach God? Now, as I read that and meditate upon it and study it, it would seem to me that they appear to be seeking more than just a technique of communication. The disciples seem to be actually saying, tell us what you know about God so that we will then know how to approach Him. We need to know more about Him to know how to even approach Him. And Jesus said, when you approach Him, you come to Him as a Father. And you pray saying, our Father, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed is hagiazo in the Greek, hagiazo, and it means to make holy, it means to sanctify, it means to cleanse and to render pure. And so Jesus is teaching us that you need to pray even that God would lift up your thinking as you approach Him. Uh, take that in just for a second. Sometimes we almost casually say, now, Lord, I'm asking this and this and this and and this. There's significance to why the Lord was teaching uh, His disciples and therewith teaching us that when we approach Him, we are to say, hallowed be your name. What does that do? That should be a faith builder within us to recognize we're not just going to Santa Claus here. 
We're not going to somebody else that has some measure of earthly resource. You are calling upon the one who is, is above every other name. You are calling upon the name of Jesus. You are going to the Father through the name of Jesus, and you are asking that his name be hallowed. What you're really saying is, Lord, in my thinking, in my grasp of understanding, would you lift my gaze to see how great you really are? So that we would see him and we would know him, not as the media would try to tell us today, not as the modern world would try to say, but that you would see and understand and commune with God as he truly is. He is holy and he is a father. That little song we sang a minute ago says, you are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. And Jesus is teaching his, the disciples, even as he's reminding us, that you can approach this Holy Father in your midnight hour. And when you come, you come with your requests. Then, and I hope you're with me, I got something for you here. Jesus offers the revelation when he's essentially saying, and this is what you should know about the God you're approaching. This is what you need to understand. You want to know about approach? I got your approach right here. Here's what you need to understand about the God you're approaching. And he tells them the story through this parable of the friend who came in the middle of the night. Now, for the sake of keeping the story straight, I'm going to have to give a little title here. We'll call him, the guy who came in the middle of the night, the one doing the asking, okay? And the other friend who's in the house, in bed with the kids, who, he's the one to answer the needs. He's the one being asked. And right after that, Jesus, in the telling of this par parable, he appealed to the disciples in the group he was speaking to as fathers and saying, and you fathers, when your son comes to you with his need, how much more, say that, will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? Now, when we look at this parable of the friend at midnight, I'm going to ask you to consider something that I know I never heard in my growing up in the church in the last few years. It's this, because I think there are two mistakes and tragic limitations in the traditional interpretation and understanding of this text. And I'm going to take a little bold move here, and uh, you're free to disagree with me and be wrong if you want. That's fine. It's up to you. I'm really just asking you to consider it because the first common misunderstanding of this parable is that it is only about the one doing the asking. Anytime I've heard so many sermons on this, and it was always about the one doing the asking. And we fail to see, I believe we have failed, my generation has failed to see, that it is really about the one who is being asked. And, and the other... Um, misinterpretation or tragic limitation, I believe, is that this parable is only about the need for persistence or perseverance in prayer. That's the main thing we always got out of the reading of this parable. You need to pray with persistence. And I've read it so many times. And I, something about it, and I know you have these places in Scripture when you read them. Some, this is one of those gnawing texts. I would read it. 
and read it, and, and I, I would read, and something was gnawing within me, like there's gotta be something more here. There's a couple of things that seem out of whack to me. There's gotta be something. Require that I dig deeper and deeper and deeper. How many of you know this, that when you're studying the Word, it's one thing to go through the Bible. It's an entirely different thing when reading and asking the Holy Spirit to enlighten your heart to discover that while you're going through the Bible, you really need to be asking the Lord to let the Bible go through you. That was good, Dan, really good. They didn't like it, but that was good. And I don't know about you, but this is true in my life. It just seems that there are some passages that require you wrestle with them. You know what I'm talking about? The common understanding of this passage is that the guy doing the asking, if he just kept bothering God long enough, he would come to the point where God reached the point of just saying, okay, 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 enough already. Just to get you off my back, I'll, I'll, sure. It's a picture of like, as if God is reacting like, like well, I wasn't really going to do it, but since you're, you're here and you don't seem to be going away and you're, you're bugging me, I'll, I'll just give it to you. That's almost could be the interpretation that we've heard through the years. Now, please don't misunderstand me. This call to perseverance in prayer is in the gospel in many places. It's why we have a prayer service every Sunday night at 6 o'clock. Please don't misunderstand what we're saying. And in and, and yet another parable in Luke 18, Jesus said, men ought always to pray and not to faint, not to lose heart. And while that certainly uh, is a scriptural principle to which we should give great credence, when it comes to our text this morning, I want to propose that possibly, at least I, have been short-sighted and haven't seen the full dimension of the text. In relegating this Luke 11 parable of the friend at midnight to simply or only mean that we should have greater persistence and perseverance in prayer. I believe there's more here for us this morning. I believe there's much more. I believe that the theme, the message, and the heart of this parable is not only about persistence on our part, but it is, in fact, a revelation about our good, good Father to whom we go to in the midnight hour and His incredible commitment to us. That's what I'm proposing to you. It's what I believe with all my heart. I bring this to you this morning that is not only a parable about us persisting in prayer, it is a parable, a parable about God persisting towards us. I would propose that it is actually a parable about God's faithfulness. It's interesting to me that Jesus had answered them uh, uh, when they asked, tell us how to approach God, and he said, you come to him as a father, and then... He gives this parable in the form of a rhetorical question to make a point. He says this, and we've read it, which of you, if a friend came at midnight and asked of you, how many of you would refuse him? And but because of persistence, you would give to him. How many of you fathers, when your child comes to you with a request, how, would you refuse him? Uh, and how, how much more will the, will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? To really unpack this well, we need to know a couple of things about Middle Eastern culture that I've come to understand. There are two Middle Eastern values which are extremely important and must be projected onto this parable to truly understand what I believe is taking place here. Two high, high, high values. One is hospitality. The other is shamelessness. It was extremely important to not bring shame to your neighbor. It was extremely important to not bring shame to your own reputation. 
It was an extraordinarily important value in the Middle Eastern culture. Jesus was giving them this parable in this culture where men preferred to die rather than face disgrace or shame. That was built into the fabric of the culture. Even today in Middle Eastern culture, it is known that brothers will stone to death their own sister if they perceive she has somehow brought dishonor to the name of their family. That's how high the value is. The idea of honor was and is extremely important. Historians tell us that humiliation and shame was always at the core of death by crucifixion which is painful, which is terrible, it's torturous, but it was also an exceedingly shameful death. Some historians have even gone so far as to say that shame, that the shame of a death by crucifixion was worse than the nails. That's how strong that is built into the culture. So strong is this cultural component in Israel yet even today that I'm told when someone gives you a birthday present, uh, I understand you would never open it in front of the one who gave it to you. You would thank them, thank the giver for the gift, and then you would take it home. And here's the reason why. If I open the gift you give me in front of you, I might not like the gift, and the displeasure might show on my face. And it would bring shame to me and shame to you. Well, in Texas, we've got an answer for this. We just fake it, right? We just, oh, we light up and we say all kinds of glorious things. Oh, a psychedelic battery-operated tie. How did you know? You, you shouldn't have. No, really, you shouldn't. You really shouldn't have. In the Middle Eastern country today, it is unthinkable to run out of food. It is highly honorable to provide for the one in need. Therefore, stay with me, Bethesda, when in verse 8 this idea of persistence is raised, we need to understand that it is the honor of the one being asked that is in question. Look specifically at our text, which is verse 8, Luke eleven eight. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is uh, he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. It is because of the persistence of the one being asked, who will stop at nothing to be sure he is not shamed nor humiliated in his effort to provide that which is being asked of him. The one being asked cannot bear the thought of going around the village tomorrow and hearing rumors being spread that he did not provide that which he was being asked for. He will not bring shame to his name. That, was, that has to be projected onto this, this verse. This idea was important enough to the apostle Paul that he said it this way, someone who does not provide for his own family is worse than an infidel. That is because providing is a matter of honor. Again, our text, verse 8, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now, the word persistence, in the Greek, it's an idea. It sounds like I had a bright, I, I had an idea, but that's the way you pronounce it. An idea, an idea. 
it is always, that's the Greek word for persistence, it is always translated as shamelessness. So in our text at Luke 11.8, I would propose that it is not speaking of the shamelessness of the one asking, but in this parable of Jesus, he is saying that because the one who is being asked to help will not be ashamed, he will provide that which is needed. Now, I've personally, in my studies, read our text this morning and looked at it even this week from at least eight or nine translations, and I encourage you to do, as always, to do your own research. I completely understand that some of the more modern translations still make it appear that the, that the persistence is on the part of the one asking. I read them. But since I have the microphone this morning for just a few minutes, and you don't, give me a shot, just one shot at proving my point that I believe the persistence is on the part of the one being asked. Because when you look at verse 8, and here's what I want to show you, you'll find that there are six different clauses in that verse, and they all refer to the one who is being asked and not to the one who is doing the asking. Clause number one, even though he will not get up, that's referring to the, to the one being asked. Clause number two, and give him anything. Clause number three, because he is his friend. Clause number four, yet because of his persistence, his an idea, because of his refusal to be ashamed, clause number five, he will get up. Clause number six, he will give him as much as he needs. Please note that the one who is doing the asking the guy who came and knocked on the door, he's only asking for bread. Hmm. But the one who is being asked will give to him according to all of his needs. This is going to preach in just a minute, folks, if you'll stay with me. How many are ready for it? You feel it coming on? Something else rather interesting about the Middle Eastern culture is this. Breadsticks, now when I think breadsticks, there's only one place that comes to my mind. You got it. And don't you dare get up right now and leave until I'm finished with this sermon. I've already called Olive Garden and shut it down, okay? Breadsticks are only the utensils. Only the utensils. So they serve the bread first, as should be the case, hallelujah. But you keep it for your utensil because the good stuff is coming soon. Because you're going to need that breadstick to dip it in and go for the good stuff. Anybody with me? The one doing the asking, the guy who came at midnight in his midnight hour, depleted, out of resources, didn't have nothing, knocking on the door, he came only to ask for bread. He really just came asking for a fork, if you want to put it in some other language. But the one being asked is going to give completely according to the need of the one asking. I'm here to tell you this morning, Bethesda, that there are many men, many women who come to God in a moment when there was one thing in your life 
that was terrifying you, one moment that might have, one thing that might have caused the dark night of your soul, one crisis, one situation, but when you open your life to Him, when you openly declare that you are His to command where He leads you, when you call upon the name of the Lord, by the way, that name is excellent because of His shameless persistence, because of His idea. His refusal to be ashamed, he is going to open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you that you cannot even contain. And he will meet you and provide for you in ways that you cannot even imagine. Who in this room has walked with God long enough that you have a testimony this morning like I do which says that God is so much more than you ever could have imagined him to be. All right, can we put the clauses back up, Andrea? In clause number one, two, three, five, and six, we know that it is the one being asked. Why would it be different in clause number four? Why, why, why would it be a different subject? The quality of shamelessness and an idea, in my opinion, applies to the one who is being asked for help, not the one doing the asking. This is God. This parable that we're reading this morning is God teaching us through the parable of Jesus that if you come to me and call upon me even in your midnight hour, then you have now created a situation where my name is in question. The excellence of my name is in question. My honor is in question. But I want to remind you that he's saying, you are my child, you belong to me, and my name will not be put to shame because of you. And if you will trust me, if you will put your life in my hands, I will be persistent, an idea to you. I want to say to everyone in the room, when you accepted Christ, when you gave your life to the Lord, you're walking with God, then His name is upon you. The excellence of His name is upon you. His name is on your children. His name is on your grandchildren. His name is on your house. And those that trust in Him, God says, my name is upon you and I will not bring dishonor to my name. Which means this, you can ask you can seek, you can knock, and he will answer. Men and women of Scripture understood this because they prayed like this. Did you know according to Isaiah 62, you can pray reminding God of his commitments towards you? Mm -hmm. Moses understood this in Exodus 32. As judgment was coming on the people of Israel, for their mind-boggling rebellion and their hardness of heart. Verse 11 of chapter 32 of Exodus, Moses pleaded with the Lord. He pled with the Lord. He implored the Lord. He besought the Lord. What does that mean? That means his attempt was to soften the face of God. Lord, you promised that the I Am would be with this people. And you said, my name will be with you. That was your promise. And God, if we are destroyed, it will be bring shame to your name. For we are your people. We belong to you. Your name is on us. Judgment was surely coming for their hardness of heart and the stupid things they had done. But Moses softened the face of God. 
And you only have to look to verse 14 of that chapter to see the results. The Lord relented. Psalm 23. David understood this because he said in verse 3, He restores my soul, and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Never take the name of God lightly. His name is upon you. What God is saying is this, since my name is on you, what happens to you reflects on who I am. And if you'll walk with me, if you'll talk with me, if you'll come to me, if you will seek, if you will knock, if you will ask, I am your Father, and I'm not going to give you a stone if you ask for bread. As I prove my faithfulness in you, your life will become a message of who I am. Now listen to this. I'm trying to get done here. Ezekiel 36, the Lord says, I will not allow shame to come to my name. Ezekiel 36, first part of 22. Therefore... Say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake or because you have been persistent or because of any righteousness on your part or because of your works or because of your worth. I do not do it. O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake. The latter part of verse 23, and the nations shall know then that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed before you in their eyes. Hagiazo. God says, I'm looking for a people who will come to me, who will seek me, who will find me, who will trust me. And I answer them and they trust in me. They will never be ashamed for I will never shame my name. Oh Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. They are my children. And who I am, my nature, my goodness, my faithfulness, my commitment to them will be revealed in them and nations will discover who I am as my people trust in me. You know this man will disappoint you. I can promise you religions and movements will disappoint you. But I'm here to say this morning that God will never bring shame to his name. Oh Lord! How excellent is thy name in all the earth. So I say to you, back to Luke 11, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Say it. Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord, Bethesda. Exalt his name together. I'm asking very, very quickly that you stay where you are for the moment. Please don't leave. I've already called Lubies. They're going to hold the food for you. And I want the prayer team to come as quickly as you can. 
I'll give you 10 seconds to get down here. Go. Come on, prayer team. Come quickly, 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 quickly. <clears throat> I asked the Lord specifically, Lord, so what do I do with this? Just give it to the people, let them meditate upon it. I have to invite you to come to God in your midnight hour. In your midnight hour. And I want to say to you, it's time to ask, it's time to seek, and it's time to knock. If there are those of you who are saying, Pastor Dan, I've really never made Christ the Lord of my life. Maybe you've been to church, maybe you were raised in whatever, but you've never declared Christ to be Lord. Today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. And I'm going to ask you to be bold enough to step out. There'll be others who will be coming in a minute also. And come and let some of these, one of these folks pray with you. Any one of them will be glad to pray you with the prayer of salvation. Pray you through with the prayer of salvation. And so we'll do that when Pastor Brent leads us in a song. If you're coming for salvation, let them know that, please. We want to rejoice with you. But I also felt a specific nudge in my heart, even early, early, early this morning, about asking, seeking, and knocking. And that is this. I know we have people in the house today who are battling cancer. And I want you to know the name of Jesus is stronger than any cancer that might be in your body. And I want those who are battling cancer, if you're able, I want you to get up and come down. And I have faith to believe this morning. And I'm asking all of Bethesda to have faith to believe with me as we pray the prayer of faith that God is going to destroy and shrink and eradicate cancer in the name of Jesus. Is anybody with me this morning? Anybody at all? I'm opening it up even wider, and it doesn't matter what you respond to, and no one will even know, except maybe those that will be praying with you. Those of you suffering from depression, depression, you don't even know why you're there. You, don't even, you can't even give a uh, justifiable reason why, why. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. It doesn't matter. But the enemy's voice is louder in your head than the voice of the Lord is. I've been there. You're hearing the enemy's voice louder than you're hearing the voice of the Lord. I'm asking you to respond to this altar call. F folks, I have prayed and asked God for deliverance this morning in this house. I know I'm three minutes past 12. I'm going to buy, I'm going to cash in about 10 more minutes. I was short the last week at the time I preached, okay, by two minutes, okay, but I counted it. Maybe some of you are facing the dark night of the soul, again, without explanation possibly dark night of the soul. It, all it matters is that when I say that phrase, you know exactly what I mean. If you don't, it's probably not you. I'm opening this altar for healing of any kind. Body, mind, soul, whatever it is. And I'm also opening for those of you who need God's divine provision, Him to be Jehovah Jireh in your life today. So stand with me. If you are responding to any of those needs, no need to sit back and take your time. We'll close the service in just a moment. I thank you for respecting the house of God this morning as we are going to have a brief time of prayer. Pastor Brent's going to lead us. Please respond to this altar call if any of those uh, invitations are for you. Let's do it.